0: Math has never really been a subject that I could say that I entirely enjoy. Does anybody just hate math? Come on, show of hands. How many of you love math? I just need to see who you are. Okay, cool. So we're like, we're split half and half. You're the smart ones. I get it. Um, While I understand the importance of it, the ability of my mind to comprehend, especially the more complex notions of math, is difficult at best. And as I've studied the Bible, I've come to see that while I may not be a fan of math, God is, and he uses it quite frequently, to my chagrin, and I just did use that word, all right? However, as I have dug deeper, I've found that the math he employs is many times very contrary to the math that I understand, and I guess this is what Isaiah meant when he said in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than than your thoughts. In other words, God's simply saying, I'm bigger than you. I see things differently than you see things. And for many of us, this new year will start out with a barrage ...of new initiatives. We will start new jobs. We will develop new relationships. We will take on new hobbies. We will start a new gym routine, a new book or five if you're me. We will try to get back to church to get closer to God or do anything that we can to get around to the things that we never got around to in 2016. We will swear off sweets. We will entertain veganism. We will plan our dream vacations... And begin the process of stacking goal after goal after goal upon the already mountain high heap of goals from the previous year. Here's the thing though. What if, instead of addition, we simply just took one thing away? What if God works better through the process of subtraction rather than addition? What if God actually brings addition to our lives by way of subtraction? What if we have the mathematical equation backwards? Today as we begin a new series called Minus One, we're going to take the next four weeks to be looking at this idea of subtraction being the catalyst for addition in our lives and how God's greatest work is done in and through the process of subtraction. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to John chapter 3. Verse 30, this is going to be our text for this morning. Every single week, we're going to be looking at different pieces of text to kind of grab a hold of this idea, different moments throughout Scripture that we see God using subtraction to bring addition. And this is one of the shortest verses you will read, but so much to unpack out of it and look at, and probably one of my most favorites. John chapter 3, verse 30 says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. Come on, every shout decrease. Come on, every turn to your neighbor and say decrease. Decrease. Everybody turn your neighbor in, your other neighbor and say you got to decrease <laughs> this morning, as we began our series minus one, I want to speak to you from the subject minus me minus me as we look at the importance in the subtraction of our self of our self last February coming up is uh, uh, the the hopefully not the coldest part of the winter but man it seems like it's gonna be but last February my family and I escaped on the vacation of our dreams we went to Hawaii we went to Maui um, I've decided that I'm gonna plant a church in Maui so that's that's an announcement for any of you who want to be on that launch team um, who's coming with me I got one I got two three four okay perfect. <laughs> So we we took off uh, in February, we went the week after the Super Bowl, so it was just quiet. Uh, No, excuse me, the week of Super Bowl, um, and it was quiet, nothing was happening, everything had kind of shut down, and it was amazing. And before we took off on our vacation, uh, Erica and myself received a bunch of texts and emails and comments from people saying, hey, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. Before you've gone on vacation, everybody tells you what you should do you've been there before you should do this you should do this you should do this. and after you hear of everything that you should do are you like me and overwhelmed right so we got on big, like once we got on the plane we turned to each other and we pretty much said hey like we're going to lie to people and tell them we did everything that they told us to do but we're not going to do any of it right so if that was you I'm sorry I love you just so you know but when we got to maui instead of planning our lists and and, and the way that we were going to attack the island we simply decided to do less, to do almost nothing. We went to Costco and we loaded up on food because we stayed in a, like this, ni- this, this nice little apartment that was overlooking a golf course and we were going to try not to eat out as much and run around and have to get up for breakfast and, and get the kiddos ready. So we weren't constantly rushing and going and going and going on our vacation. And so we decided that we were going to do less. And the amazing thing was, is not because we were in Hawaii, but maybe because we were in Hawaii. But as I look back on that vacation, it was and still is the best vacation I've ever taken. Why? Because I did nothing. I did less. We got up, we sat on the balcony and we drank coffee and we read our Bibles and our kids played and we spit at the golfers on the golf cart. And my son did that and so I'm a kid at heart, people, I'm a kid at heart. But we, we chilled and then it was like, What do you want to do? Let's go to the to the beach. Well there's all these other things to do, and it's like, no, let's just let's just do less. Let's not do a a bunch. Look, I know that this message, probably this entire series is going to be somewhat complicated and downright stressful for some of us in here. Because the whole idea of subtraction goes against everything that makes us who we are. It goes against everything that we really want in our lives if we're truthful about it, and that is addition. Here's the thing, though. The problem with addition is that it becomes an addiction more always produces the law of diminishing returns on our lives. The more addition that takes place, the more that we need more. Now let's, let's be clear. I'm not talking just about stuff and things. More doesn't always have to do with the material aspects of life. Many times the idea of more filters into every area of our lives and consequently creating a life that is completely focused on our We want more fun. We want more relationships. We want more freedom. We want more stuff in life for me. Everybody shout me. Me. We're talking about ourselves this morning. See, the addition-based life is not the Jesus-based life. Rather, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom, a kingdom where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, a kingdom where if you want to find your life, you must lose it, a kingdom in which it's better to give than it is to receive, a kingdom in which subtraction is where we find addition in our lives. It's a backwards kingdom. When you look at the whole of scripture, when you realize what this thing is about, you quickly realize it's all backwards. And there's some stuff that we can really learn out of this backwards kingdom. And I believe this is why John the Baptist, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 30, this is him being quoted. And he's saying, I must decrease, he, Jesus, must increase in my life. And it's through the process of reduction or subtraction that addition actually takes place in our life. And more uh, Uh, More specifically, it is the subtraction of me, myself, that lends to creating the space necessary for God to increase in our lives. 2017 needs to begin not with more of me, but rather less of me. And that's what I'm going after this morning. And that's what I'm going after the course of this series, is that... What if we, at the outset of 2017, decided to remove things, decided to go after less instead of more? And I know for some of us, that's going to cause some schizophrenia right now, because it's like, wait a second, but Jason, I've already set my list of 84 and a half things I have to do in 2017. I've got my new journal. I've got my new gym routine. I'm already eight days in, baby, and it's going awesome, All right? And more and more and more. And I sat down the other day and I was thinking about some of the goals and some of the things that I want that I, to accomplish this year. And it's not bad to have goals. But if we're doing these processes of addition for the sake of just adding things, we've got it wrong. And I've come to realize that many of the things that we're adding is just for a better self. Rather than what is Jesus wanting to do in my life? Because while we may be adding more, Is it possible that Jesus is asking us to have less? And that is what I want to really focus on. 2017 doesn't need to be more. It needs to be less. So what I want to do this morning is to look at what happens when we lose ourselves. Right? What happens when we decrease and Jesus increases in our lives? The journey that we're going to go on for the next few weeks has to start first by losing ourself, And it's in the subtraction of me that I find the greatest addition possible in my life. So three things I want to focus on this morning that happen when we decrease and Jesus increases in our lives. Come on, every shot. number one. Number one, the first thing that we need to understand is this, that transformation becomes a product of faith rather than function. Function being about what I can do. The first thing that happens when we allow Jesus to increase in our lives is that transformation becomes a product of faith rather than function. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. For the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I love that scripture. Beautiful piece of scripture. Look, I'm all for discipline. I love creating systems in our lives that help us get better. However, what we have to realize is that the human condition is the same that it has been since the beginning of time. And that is a fundamental belief that transformation is possible through our own personal effort. But it's not. We inherently believe that transformation is a product, is something that happens through us. But the crux of the gospel is that transformation apart from Jesus is fundamentally impossible. So if we want to live gospel-centered lives, Jesus-centered lives... Come on, we got to get to the place where we don't, we, we don't buy into this concept that transformation is possible through my function. If I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, then transformation will take place. We have to understand that the gospel teaches us that transformation is only a product of Jesus. It's only a product of Jesus. Because I don't know if you've ever been in that place before where you do everything that you can possibly do and you get to the point where you're so frustrated because you're like, and you list it off, don't you? I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm still not changing. You ever been there before? Nothing's happening. Why? Because Jesus isn't the center of it. Because really the only way that true change takes place is when he is the goal. When he is the center Of it all? So the problem is is that we engage in the activity of personal transformation every single year like clockwork. All while failing to realize that the very reason transformation didn't happen the previous year is because we were trying to author that change ourselves. Someone once said that the definition of insanity was doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different outcome. And unfortunately, this is what we do week after week. Month after month, year after year, we try our hardest to experience transformation, but never giving space to the only one who can produce transformation in our lives. We will never find lasting transformation in and through our function. True and lasting transformation, hear me church, comes only through faith. Faith that is anchored in and authored by Jesus. Faith! Come on, Michelle, faith? Faith. 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 Not function. Now, that is not a license to be lazy, because I know where some of you could be going right now. Sweet, I don't have to do anything. I just sit here and squeeze faith out, right? Faith's going to get me healthy. Faith's going to get me that girl or that guy, right? Faith's going to get me that job. I'll just sit here and do nothing. No! That's not what we're talking about. Faith has to lead everything. My function will never do anything for me if it's not led by faith. I can't function my way through this life. I can discipline myself pretty, pretty hard. But the problem with a function-based transformation is that at some point we will find, it will find its end because the source of power is ourself. We are finite and limited whereas Jesus is infinite and limitless. His power knows no end. It's in him that we find life and breath. He gives us the power necessary for true and lasting transformation in our lives. I'll illustrate it this way and then we'll move on but the other day I was building Legos with my son in a very frustrated position of life. (laughs) but Building Legos with a child will teach you a lot my, my son, he's getting it down. He's getting the instructions down. He's figuring out how to do Legos, right? And he's doing them pretty well. But one thing that I've, I've learned and I've started to, uh, to see in my son's building process is he doesn't quite know how to, to like really lock in the Legos, right? Like you got to lock some of those things in. So he doesn't really know how to do that quite yet. So as we build this thing, He's doing it himself and he's kind of starting to lock things in. And I have to rewind four four measures in because we've got to go back and lock some things in. And I started to realize that our life with Jesus isn't much like that. Because when we are trying to do it all ourselves, when we're living a function-based life, yeah, we can produce some stuff, but it's never as strong and as secure as it can be when the Father gets involved and anchors some things in our life. So that little thing that I'm trying to build with my son, all of a sudden it becomes secure. He can't break it. We can start building upon it. But many of us try to function our way through lives. 2017, we've already got our list of function, but I'm trying to say to you today, hey, listen, let's stop the function. Let's engage the faith. Let's rise the faith level and believe and know that in, through God, I can do this life. I can do this year. I can have it to be everything that he desires it to be, but it means the less of me and more of him transformation becomes a product of faith rather than function the second thing is this the second thing that we need to understand the second thing that happens when Jesus increases and I decrease is that progression becomes an assessed value of loss rather than a determined value of gain in other words I start to ask the question what can I lose rather than gain which is a weird question if you think about it. Watch Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 11. Paul speaking. He says, for we are the circumcision. We'll talk about that in another message. Or talk to Mike about it. <laughs> for, we <laughs> for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. This is where Paul goes on like one of the biggest like, brag fests that he could possibly do. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered all I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Reach out, rubbish. Rubbish. The word that he actually uses for rubbish would have been. Really an offensive word. (laughs) Uh, The only way I can, it's throwing a four-letter word at it right now. I'm not going to do that in church, lest some of you never come back. But when Paul uses this term rubbish, he's literally saying all these things that I've counted, I counted them as. (laughs) That that is the Greek, all right? (laughs) Is the Greek got my education in Bible college. In order, he goes on to say that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul launches into one of the greatest compare and contrast lists ever written as he takes an honest and candid value assessment of his life before Christ and after Christ. See, Paul comes to the conclusion that the assessed value of loss far exceeded the assessed value of gain in his life. In other words, he started to look at things and he goes, oh my gosh, it is ten times better that I lose this and gain Christ, than it is that I gain all of this and lose my relationship with him. See, progression becomes an assessed value of loss rather than a determined value of gain. What if we started looking at loss not as a negative or failure-based thing, but actually seeing it as a positive thing, that it's in loss, Jesus shines the most in our life. I lose some things. Paul helps us understand that it was not his gain that brought him closer to Christ, but rather that which he had lost. It was in his loss that he had found everything that he was looking for. In other words, Paul asserts that knowing Christ was far greater than the combined value of his previous life and all that he'd ever known. Why does he want us to know this? This will help some of us this morning. Paul is helping the Philippians come to the realization that there is nothing in our past, present, or future that can nor should outweigh the surpassing value of knowing and being found in Christ. In other words, Paul's saying this don't go back. Don't go backwards. If some of you don't hear anything else in this message this morning, please write this in your notes. Don't go back. Because some of us are going to be tempted there this year. Some of us are already there. Some of us are already in the position where we're going, man, it's so much easier to do the non-Jesus thing than it is to do the Jesus thing. And that's okay, I've been there. Do you know why I wake up, your pastor, right? your faith-filled, inspired pastor, wakes up many days and goes, Jesus, this is hard. Can we stop? Erica constantly reminds me because she's just an awesome wife. She's like, you ready to do this for the next 40 years? What, this Jesus thing or the church thing? <laughs> but have you ever felt that way before? Come on, can we just be honest? Have you ever, you ever been there before? Because I think if we as Christians can't be honest about these things, then who, who we fool with? Because come on, I can't, I can't believe that I'm the only guy that's on a Sunday afternoon after I've gotten back at church and, and, I, and I get back to life and I, and I start to look at all the things that are going to happen and, and, and during the week I start to, to go through the things that I'm going through. Come on, can't, can't I just go back? Can't we just go back to how things used to be? And that's what Paul's saying. If we start to understand that the, there's value in what we presumably lose in our relationship with Jesus When we start to see value to it, all of a sudden we start to see that life becomes ten times greater. See, in our journey with Jesus, we're going to come face to face with the option to retreat. To go back to how things used to be. To actually go back to the addiction and the brokenness. Or just the generic state of being. For many of us, we are in that place even today in which you are aware of your desire to stop this whole Christian thing. Because it's simply easier we gotta be careful we can't go back see his encouragement to those of us wavering in faith this morning to understand that progression is a product of assessed value of loss rather than a determined value of gain well what is it changing what are we looking at here what is the value what, what what is the what is the value in loss well it's actually in loss that our values are restructured come on have you ever lost something before and then in the loss of it, all of a sudden, that thing that you thought was so important is no longer important. You ever been there before? I've lost things. I still have no idea where they're at. And all of a sudden, you realize, you look around for it. Like, you're like, oh, where's that thing, right? Where did it go? I lost. It. I can't find. It. Oh, my gosh, I can't, I can't find it. And then all of a sudden, you get to the place. After you've been looking for it long enough, you start to realize, oh, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not that valuable to me. And that's what Paul's trying to drive at. He's saying, look, our values change when we understand this principle. Everything changes when we understand this principle. Everything in life now comes to a totally new valuation system. Come on, any, any fans of Shark Tank in here? Yeah. Come on, put your hands up. If you, if you love the show, Shark I love that show. And every single moment, like, like the gray-haired bald guy, I love it when he, Kevin, right, when he gets involved and he just starts tearing people apart. I'm like, yeah, bring it to him, Kevin, come on, Right? And so, but I love watching because he's the only one that has a tendency to go towards that valuation system, right? He always gets on people when they, when they give their assessed value of their company and helps them realize that it's not as valuable as you think. I mean, if you ever watched that, I'm like, that's the most depressing part of the show, but I love it because it pop, <laughs> pops people's bubbles, right? And it helps them realize, and they come to realization like, oh, it's not as, it's not as valuable as I, as I think it is. And that's actually what Paul's trying to be for us right here in the book of Philippians. He's trying to be Kevin. Like, Philippians chapter 3 is shark tank material. He's simply saying, people, look, everything that you think is valuable, pop! It's not as valuable as you think. That's what he's trying to get us at. This isn't a depressing message. This is a freeing message. So I think some of you were coming in here like 2017 minus, minus one. This is going to be just an awe-inspiring message, and then all of a sudden you're being told, lose yourself! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going back there again. But this is actually the most freeing thing possible. See, when we understand this principle, it changes our values. It changes our desires. Let me ask you this question. What is it that you truly desire? Desire is a subject that the Bible deals constantly with because desire is such a strong reality in my life, in your life. Listen, James chapter 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say that when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. I've got a thing that I've got to share with you as a church. I've got a problem. Whenever I drive past Maverick, Cinnabon stares at me. The evil vice of Cinnabon. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Come on, some of you know. Like, you won't admit it right now, but can we just treat this as like Cinnabon Anonymous? Like, just right now? <laughs> Come on, can, can I get one, two, some of you? Every single time I drive past Maverick, we gotta drive past a Maverick coming to church, right? And I'll eat breakfast, I'll eat some like... Like some eggs in the morning after we get back from the gym. Like eggs and turkey sausage. And I feel good about myself. I had three turkey sausages and two eggs. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong. And I drive past Maverick and I'm like, help me Jesus. Because the desire in me is raging for Cinnabon. Desire, it's strong. And I'm not even joking about this. I was telling Justin about it. I have literally parked out in front of the Maverick no joke, I did this just before Christmas, I parked out in front of the Maverick, and I felt horrible about it, but I'm standing there like tweaking, should I, should I get the, bu- should I get the bun, should I get the bun, I'm praying, God help me, help me, because if I tell my wife, she's going to be mad, because I didn't bring her one, right, <laughs> why did you get me involved in your desire, right. Help me, Lord. See, but when we lose ourselves, our desires change. He grabs a hold of that thing. So, when we understand that progression becomes an assessed value of loss rather than a determined value of gain, everything changes. Our desires change, our values change, the way that we respond to life changes. All these things changed when we understand that progression is an assessed value of loss rather than gain. What can we lose this year? How can I lose myself this year? And the third thing that I want us to understand this morning is this. The third thing that happens when we decrease and Jesus increases is that growth becomes a product of surrender rather than safety. Growth becomes a product of surrender rather than safety. Probably one of my most favorite pieces of scripture in all the Bible. I don't know why, I just, I just love the teaching that Jesus does right here. In John chapter 12, verse 24, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, watch this, it bears much See, Jesus opens his statement with a solid affirmation that what he is about to say is not some random thought, idea, or opinion, but rather a statement of truth. He then asserts that life of true growth, a life of true growth only comes from and out of surrender. See, surrender is the ultimate negotiation of a life lived for Jesus. It is in surrender that he is after. It is surrender that he is after. And for many of us, this is not only scary, but something we can't even fathom. Right now this morning. See, the audience that Jesus was addressing was very familiar with farming tactics. So he employs an illustration to help his listeners fully grasp the truth that he wanted them to assimilate into their lives. For a seed to produce a harvest, it must yield itself to the ground in which it's been planted. Hear that this morning. For a seed to yield a harvest, it has to yield itself To the ground in which it's been planted. And Jesus employs this line of thinking so that people can understand that a seed just tossed upon ground will never bear fruit. But a seed that surrenders itself, a seed that yields itself to the ground in which it's planted, will grow, it will produce. And my fear is this, is that many of us are seeds lying on top of the soil of Jesus. But never fully yielding ourselves to Him. If Jesus is the soil of our lives, if Jesus is the soil to this seed, I gotta surrender. I've gotta allow myself to die. The greatest growth that you will ever experience in life is only found in the throes of surrender. Yet it's this notion of surrender that makes following Jesus one of the hardest decisions that we could ever make. I get that. One of the greatest travesties that we've produced in and through the preaching and teaching of the word is the lightening of or minimization of following Jesus. Somehow we've arrived at an understanding that following Jesus is about both and when it's really about either or. No mean, by no means are we talking about perfection, so please don't go there, but we are talking about surrender. And for many of us, we believe that a life with Jesus is about safety. Come on, hear me church this morning. I know this, this may not be the message that you were expecting at the beginning of the year, but it's a message that will change your life if you allow it to. It's a message that will make 2017 one of the greatest years that you will ever have. I'm not going to live for safety. I'm going to live in surrender. And we've preached so many times that Jesus, oh, when you come to Jesus, he's gonna keep you safe. He's gonna keep you fluffy and nice and it's gonna be fields of gold and all these amazing things. And then you get into a relationship with Jesus and he asks you to do something that's not safe that requires surrender and we go, what? Wait a second, but but the preacher told me that everything is beautiful and nice. I just float in like a bubble of softness and safety. It's just awesome, I have my safe space. I want to tell you this morning, you don't have safe space with Jesus. When you surrender to Him, it's not safe, but it's awesome. It's not safe, but it's worth it. I've got a problem when I go, when I go snowboarding. I'm not a good snowboarder. Like by any, any stress, like there's guys in here, we got guys in our church, first service, second service, like you guys are proficient, like you know what you're doing. Ben, if you've ever skied with Ben. He's running around here doing security right now. That guy's insane, right? He spent the whole day when I was skiing with him, skiing backwards. It's like, why do you even do that? Because I can, right? But here's my problem. Whenever I go snowboarding, there's something that clicks inside of me. Maybe it's because I'm a dude. Maybe it's because I have half a brain. I don't know. But I always negotiate things way more difficult than my actual ability. Like, oh, there's a cliff, I should jump off that, right? Oh, there's a bunch of powder that I have no idea how to ski in. Just point it forward and go, baby. Why? Because when I get up there and I'm in the midst of it, I don't want to, I don't want to be safe. I don't want, there's no fun in that. But why do we do it with our Christian life? Why do we try to stay safe with it when Jesus is saying surrender? See, when I surrendered to Jesus at about 17 years of age, I had no idea what my life was going to be at that point. And man, it's taken me on some wild rides. Surrendered to Jesus at 17. At 18, I found myself in Australia on the other side of the world, mainly because my parents-in-law wanted me away from their daughter, but secondarily, because I needed to learn about Jesus. So that worked I surrendered and I moved went through college came back another moment of surrender another moment of surrender another moment of surrender another moment of surrender surrender. and I even caught myself the other day thinking does this ever end, Jesus? to which he unequivocally says nope where are you at this year? What is it that 2017 is going to be for you this year? Let me ask you this question. Can we lose ourselves this year and gain Jesus? Can we lose ourselves and gain Jesus? Can we lose everything and gain Jesus? Because I want to submit to you this morning that he must increase and I, must decrease, and it's in the process of subtraction that we find the greatest addition for our lives possible.